to think a situation in early July where Indiana is basically back to normal and Kentucky is saying you still cannot go to the pool on a hot summer day is quite a stark contrast. That's what we have today. We have one state much further ahead than the other in terms of the plans that they've made available to the public. From the digital journalists of WDRB.com, this is Uncovered, a behind-the-scenes look at stories affecting education, business, criminal justice, and more in Louisville, Kentucky. And now for the show. This is Chris Otts of WDRB.com. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Marcus Green, and we are again talking about Kentucky and Indiana's diverging plans to reopen amid the COVID-19 pandemic. We first broached this topic a couple of weeks ago, but there's a lot more to talk about now than there was then. Let's get right into the show. I'm ready to announce the next steps. We have developed a five-stage roadmap. I said earlier, we have a lot of numbers. Last week, Governor Holcomb of Indiana and Governor Bashir of Kentucky laid out their plans for reopening businesses and returning life to normal. Uh, And I know that uh, state to state, um, it is a little bit different, uh, but everybody is taking a gradual, phased-in approach in part is based on how they have seen the spread and how they And a few the weeks ago we heard about how Kentucky and Indiana were part of this seven state group where all the governors were going to coordinate on their reopening plans. Reopening the economy. Several Midwestern states are now looking at that very issue. New partnership of seven Midwestern states that will work together on reopening their economies. The states will keep each other aware of what they're doing. And there was going to be consistency across states. At least that was the implication. Help us reach the goal of having Indiana back on track by July 4th, Independence Day. In Indiana, for example, Chris, uh, Governor Holcomb last week changed an executive order that allows Indiana businesses and some services to begin to reopen today, Monday, uh, May the 4th. Retail and commercial businesses will open at 50% capacity. Examples would include apparel and furniture, jewelry. And And it's a gradual reopening. It's a gradual restarting of Indiana's economy that's based around phases. And so what Holcomb is proposing is that if Indiana is able to keep its numbers uh, consistent and trending in the right direction, over the next few months, culminating with July 4th, Pretty much every business and industry that has been closed or restricted will be back to more or less its regular operating capacity. All right. It is 5 o'clock on a beautiful Friday afternoon. In Kentucky, it's a totally different story. And this is the time uh, that we get together to make sure that we remember that while we have been at this a long time, Governor Bashir has laid out his timeline, but it's not as detailed as Governor Holcomb's, and it doesn't start until May the 11th. So 
we've got two different timelines in two different states. And so what we're left with is a situation in which here in our bi-state uh, region in Louisville, our metro area is, uh, you know, basically split between the two states. Uh, you've got a situation for several weeks here where certain things are going to be available and open in Indiana and not in Kentucky. Thanks, Mark. Governor Bashir says he does not want Kentuckians to travel to other states to take advantage of businesses opening there. If things in other states are open that aren't open in Kentucky, Raising all of these questions about should Louisville people go over the river and and go to restaurants or get a haircut. What we have in both these states is just a staggered timeline and a much more detailed roadmap in Indiana. So it raises the question of will Kentuckians, for example, who haven't been able to eat out at restaurants or visit certain retailers, take the opportunity to go to Indiana to visit those businesses and take advantage of those services when technically, according to Governor Bashir's executive orders, that kind of travel is considered non-essential. Uh, with us, uh, what is my message for Kentuckians planning to cross the river to dine in at uh, Indiana restaurants? And really isn't we're permitted. Asking, um, we're asking you, uh, stay healthy at home. Uh, we can see um, how that works in Indiana. We can learn from it. And if that means moving up our timetable, are moving back our timetable, uh, but doing that can frustrate the plan that we have and could potentially push back our timeline. And I think restaurants are probably the biggest indicator that people will be looking at Clarksville and Jeffersonville and New Albany, all these cities right across the Ohio River from Louisville. They'll begin to open up next week, the week of May 11th. Now they've got to do it at 50% capacity, but at that point, they'll be allowed to do in-person dining, and there will be some pretty significant changes. Uh, for example, in Indiana, servers and kitchen staff are going to have to wear face coverings or masks, and there won't be any bar seating. But for the most part, besides that, you'll be able to go into a restaurant and order. Here's one thing that really drilled at home for me, Marcus, the difference between these two timelines. Last week, Bashir in Kentucky said... Uh, there's no way that we can have we summer pools. At, uh, not having public pools uh, open uh, in in May or, or, or in June. Not in May, not in June, and... And probably not after that. It's probably not even in July. Every one of those contacts that's shared can then go back to other people. Holcomb, on the other hand, is working so. Indiana towards a plan where if all goes... Uh, well, conventions, sports events, fairs, festivals, the state fair, and like events. And they don't see a spike or reversal in the virus. Retail stores, malls, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, gyms, and personal services may operate at full capacity. That by July 4th, they are largely going to be back open as completely normal. Restrictions will be lifted at amusement parks, water parks, and like facilities. He's talking about amusement parks, about the state fair, about fairs, conventions, large gatherings of people. So to think a situation in early July where Indiana is basically back to normal and Kentucky is saying you still cannot go to the pool on a hot summer day is quite a stark contrast. 
So I think this brings us back to, Chris, one of the things we talked about a few minutes ago, which is there was a lot of optimism a few weeks ago when Governors Holcomb and Bashir both announced they were part of this Midwestern alliance of states. Governors in seven states trying to coordinate efforts to reopen their economies. And I went back today and double-checked. Both Bashir and Holcomb used the word coordinate when they announced their participation. But I think you could argue that that's not happened. This hasn't been a coordinating effort. What it's been is a information-sharing type of pact among these states. The states are letting each other know what's happening, but they're not allowing each other to veto or to approve uh, decision-making. And so what you're seeing are cases that are most starkly defined in Kentucky and Indiana, where one state is moving ahead with a much more aggressive and detailed reopening proposal, and another is still waiting on data to drive its decision-making. And so that's what we have today. We have one state much further ahead than the other in terms of the plans that they've made available to the public. And of course, the byproduct of this difference between their approaches is frustration uh, on the part of some. Let's take Mayor Greg Fisher. Uh, He has been critical of Holcomb's plan in Indiana. It's pretty clear to me from his uh, still very diplomatic comments on this that he believes that Indiana is moving too fast and should be on a slower timeline. Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher says he's concerned about potential impact on Louisville of the plan Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb announced today. They were a little later than us going into their healthy at home. Now they're going to be coming out healthy at home sooner. Uh, So that potentially could be a problem. And we know that some of the uh, rates in southern Indiana have been difficult and more aligned with Kentucky. Let's do this as an aligned region. And that's not where we're at as of today. Let's try to get together here early in this week to see if we can come to some type of commonality to the approaches that we have uh, as two different states. Uh, because obviously, uh, Southern Indiana is part of Metro Rural. And then we have um, the business community. And today, uh, Greater Louisville, Inc., the Chamber of Commerce in our area, uh, which, by the way, represents many businesses in Southern Indiana and both sides of the river, uh, put out a, a statement saying that these are disjointed opening reopening plans and calling on the governors of Kentucky and Indiana to get their act together because more so than anything, what they want is a consistent approach. We have businesses, workers, and families that do not view the Ohio River as you know, a, a line that would divide how we employ, how we work, how we operate businesses. And we talked to Iris Wilbur Glick with Greater Louisville Inc. today about this. And so it is critical on behalf of the business community that there are coordinated efforts on the way to ensure that Greater Louisville is best positioned for this recovery. You know, Chris, GLI is obviously frustrated with how this process is playing out, not least because they submitted a proposal to Governors Bashir and Holcomb on how best to make this work for the Louisville region, which is where their members are based. And they feel like, as you say, it's been disjointed. It hasn't been uh, truly conceived together. I asked Governor Holcomb about that 
criticism from GLI at his briefing Monday in Indianapolis. Marcus Green, WDRB Louisville. Hello, Marcus. Good afternoon. Thank you. Uh, the presidents of Greater Louisville, Inc., the Chamber of Commerce for Louisville and a number of southern Indiana counties. And I asked him specifically, do you think your plan didn't take into consideration the conditions on the ground in counties in a bi-state metro area like Louisville? And he said, you know, I think my plan is good. And he reiterated the fact that he's in constant communication with Governor Bashir of Kentucky, Governor DeWine of Ohio. Uh, and he made this point. You're never going to get us to be 100 percent in alignment on 100 percent of all the issues in all the different sectors. Uh, we've we've been opened um, prior to today, May 4. Uh, we've been opened in construction and some other areas where Kentucky hasn't been uh, for some weeks now, or Ohio, or, or Illinois, or Michigan, for that matter. He said, you know, you're never going to have 100% alignment on 100% of all of the issues. But he said, we listen to business leaders in southern Indiana. We, as he called it, we put eyes on all of the recommendations for a, again, he calls it a smart reopening. And essentially what he's done is, is made the, the point that Indiana has tried to do the best that it can do. But again, it just comes back to what may be in hindsight is an impossible situation. You know, when these seven states announced their interstate agreement to try to work together, it sounded great on paper. But of course, when the rubber meets the road and all of the individual considerations that each state has to deal with were to emerge, it was obviously going to be very difficult to reach consensus on a lot of issues, especially those that might involve metro areas like Louisville or the Cincinnati metro area or the Chicago metro area, any of these places where two or three states in some cases come together. Now, one of the things that precipitated all this was President Trump in the White House putting out guidelines for states saying that states ultimately are the ones to make decisions about restrictions within their borders but here are some broad measures that they should take into account based on public health and science as to easing restrictions. And the very first one was a measurable 14-day decline in virus cases. And it's been notable that we've seen Kentucky and Indiana advance these reopening plans and move forward despite neither state noticing a 14-day decline in new cases and uh, instead emphasizing other metrics. You know, Chris, we talked about this several weeks ago when we first discussed how the states were going to move forward. And at that time, the 14-day decline in cases was a major benchmark that everyone aspired to. But it's really gone by the wayside. And it's gone by the wayside, if you listen to the public health officials, because there are other metrics that are in play. And also, as we test more for COVID-19, we're probably going to see an increase in cases, at least during some days. So the notion that we're going to have a 14-day consecutive decline with increased testing is probably not a likely scenario. And so the health officials have moved towards other metrics like adequate personal protective equipment, ICU and other hospital capacity, and other things that they can look at to say, 
we know that we're ready to reopen parts of the economy because if we do see an increase in cases, we know we've got the infrastructure in place to handle them. And of course, that also goes along with increased contact tracing with more testing. And so a cynic might say the goalposts have, have moved a little bit from the state's perspective, but maybe the devil's advocate to that point is look at what they're dealing with and the reality of trying to meet that 14-day decline. Regardless of whether it's reasonable, Marcus, I think this goes to show one of the things that we try to live by in journalism, which is that you primarily judge elected officials on what they ultimately do and not what they say, (laughs) (laughs) because uh, those things can differ and what they end up doing is what matters. Let's turn now to the other big elephant in the room in Louisville. We had Churchill Downs with its earnings call last week. They have to do this every quarter, and it's obviously been – the pandemic has been rough on a company whose businesses are uh, gaming, gambling, and horse racing for obvious reasons – And the big question is still, what kind of Kentucky Derby are we going to have on September 5th uh, when the Derby is now scheduled? Here's Churchill Downs' Bill Karstangen, the CEO. Our team relishes the challenge of the September Derby and is deeply committed to holding the very best Kentucky Derby ever and certainly the most unique in any of our lifetimes. September 5th is still four months away. A lot can happen in our country, and I expect that it will. Marcus, you know the horse racing world, and I don't think there's any predicate for this, just as we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. But it seems like Churchill Downs is kind of biding their time and saying, whatever we can do that's legal to do, we are going to to go ahead and do. But it's really a head-scratcher to think, what is the derby going to actually look like how is it possible to do it with social distancing and and where they're headed uh, as of today as we cover a lot of these issues and we notice that the questions maybe we're asking differently now than we were a month ago i think the question a month ago was Will there be a Kentucky Derby? The question now is what kind of Kentucky Derby will it be? Because track president Kevin Flannery said over the weekend that there will be a Derby this year. He emphasized that. What kind of Derby will we have? I think it's unrealistic based on everything that we know to imagine a Derby with 150,000 people, of course, or even a Derby with 30,000 people. I think Churchill Downs is probably looking at running a Derby that accomplishes a couple of important things. Well, one is to have a horse race that people can bet on. And another is to continue its streak of having a derby every year since 1875. Those are probably the two big factors. And if if that's run in front of a small crowd, a medium-sized crowd, that's probably just gravy for Churchill right now. I think their focus is just on finding a way to get that race in. I think you're right. Uh, I will note that last week, Karstangen, the CEO of Churchill Downs, said, again, with spectators is the plan. Although Flannery, the track president, also allowed during a uh, thing he was doing with Mayor Fisher that uh, it will be run with fans, quote, we hope. So a little bit 
of daylight there. And just one final observation here, Marcus, I'm going to offer this idea to Churchill Downs for free, no compensation, <laughs> but it, it's, it sounds like if they really want to have the Derby as they uh, have in the past or as close to it as they have in the past, they should just move it to Indiana. That might be a more friendly environment. Man, that's uh, almost sacrilegious, Chris. It was at least funny, though. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. All right. Well, Marcus Green, thank you very much for joining me. And um, we got a lot of listenership on our podcast where we went over all this stuff two weeks ago. Hopefully uh, people find this one even more useful because we have a lot more details now than we did then. And we're going to be getting more details and doing uh, more updates like this in the coming weeks. Um, So thanks for your reporting and for talking. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'll see you soon, Chris. The Uncovered Podcast is a production of WDRB Media. Please subscribe, review, and rate wherever you get your podcasts.